Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? You're trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. Uh, you could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night, entrepreneurship and leadership channel listeners. Uh, together with my host, Kimon, we've got a special guest today, Shimon Supik, who I met, I guess, 11 years ago when he was speaking at TEDx Krakow back in 2010. And I could introduce him. He's a tech entrepreneur, built and sold two companies, running a very significant company in the lighting industry. But rather than me do it, badly. Shimon, why don't you introduce yourself the way you do it if someone says, hi, what do you do or who are you at a party or a social engagement? Hi. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening uh, <laughs> again. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> the problem is I, I, I've i never learned doing that uh, in a short sentence. So you can say I'm an entrepreneur. That's true. Um, Actually, Silver is my third baby, uh, so to speak. Uh, in my heart, I am an engineer. So software, electronics, uh, wireless communication, this is what has always been uh, very interesting and exciting for me. Um, yes, yeah, so Silver is a software company. Uh, we do software from very low level, like chip level up to the cloud and it's mostly in wireless uh, communications in general in particular we are addressing smart lighting sector today uh, with our bluetooth mesh based technology and uh, also being co-founder and cto at silver i'm also chairing the mesh working group at bluetooth sig so i'm quite uh, involved in establishing global standards. And this is also an interesting uh, <clears throat> thread in my uh, learning curve, I would say, because it's, it's been learning curve all the time. Hmm. Never Do you mind if I ask, uh, how old are you? Oh, 67. So 21 plus 100 minus uh, 67. That's okay, the, you're, that means you're three years older than me. That's easier for me. So you're, you're actually 53. So so I'm really interested because, and this is interesting for Richard, you're actually right smack in the between me and Richard in terms of age. And, and Richard and I both came to Poland nearly 30 years ago. And so I, I'm just like fascinated with how did you, maybe you can just talk a little bit about what Poland was like, you know, when you were growing up and how did you get, like, I think it's particularly interesting to see people of our age and um, who coming from Poland, basically, who are entrepreneurial, because like you didn't like, Pol you know, there wasn't like maybe the culture of setting up businesses and doing stuff like that. I mean, could you just talk a little bit about how you actually got into it? I think it's fascinating. Well, I think in Poland, there are many people who are entrepreneurs by heart. I mean, they just love doing things uh, regardless if they are educated or, or or not educated to do this uh i think the history uh when you go back like 50 years ago uh 1970s 1980s uh it it always uh, 
uh, has been presenting us with with many opportunities and 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 people were you know even in those uh, old uh, communist regime times uh, they were trying their ways around things and that, that, that could be considered some form of entrepreneurship of course and this is really when I started uh, I could count I think mid 80s as my first uh, attempts uh, to do some uh, small business, I would say. So you're a teenager, uh, I guess. No, no, uh, mid mid eighties would be about twenty, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I was. Sorry, uh, you're closer to uh, the age. You've got the age down, Richard. 18, 18, 18 20. So at that time, like the the, the regulations, uh, the political climate was melting a little bit and uh, th there was a small window of opportunity to go abroad to to the west especially and uh, of course uh, that requires i think you know setting up a company today is a piece of cake uh, comparing to you know <laughs> blindly blindly uh, with perhaps 20 or 50 dollars in cash just like you know go to uk this is what i did in 1987, I think, and, and exactly for this first uh, for this first flight ticket, uh, I was collecting money for about five months to afford that trip, and and I had barely 50 pounds with me at that time, and I stayed for three weeks uh, in the UK, like finding some farm jobs and, and traveling around a little bit, but but it was great and, and very rewarding, I would say. But you had that sense of a, a adventure. You know, I, I often observe that people in the West, when I came to Poland, thought that, you know, the Westerners needed to teach Polish people entrepreneurship. And I felt that communism forced people to be entrepreneurial because to get by under communism, you really had to be have a lot of initiative. And, um, you, but you, you mentioned your first businesses so in your family we're really interested in sort of where it comes from in your in your family environment did you have like role models uncles or aunts or sisters or your parents who were like trading or doing anything like that or did it somehow where, where did it come from when when do you when did you get that first sense that this was something that you could do or wanted to do i don't know i uh, definitely no one in my family had any entrepreneurial uh, background or or nothing i can recall from from the history uh one thing that i'm extremely grateful to my parents is that despite you know we were very poor family and and they could hardly uh you know afford for for many things but among them they they financed my english lessons since uh, since early uh primary school so, so that was, I mean, language is, is absolutely number one. And, and this is something that somehow my parents uh, at that time considered very important. Yeah, I mean, and that maybe they had a vision into how useful it was going to be, um, you know, in travel and everything. I mean, um, and English in particular, right? I mean, because the history, um, at least, you know, as I said, I've you know, when I talked to my, my family and all, my, my wife's family and all that, it seems like there, there was a lot of Russian being taught, but I think English was, that was the thing is to get that English base. Um, 
That was a good, I guess that was a good, that was a good investment from there. Yeah, extremely good. I mean, <laughs> foundational, I would say. <laughs> okay, so, so you don't know, you don't know exactly where it came from, but um, you, so what was your very first business, your very first business project? And it, it doesn't have to be the, your first successful one. I'm not talking about that you built a, a market leading software company later, but like, was it like buying and selling? What was your very, very first business project that yeah, you can remember? So, so I was, I was trying to, you know, find a way, because uh, as I said, I, I, my, my, my family was quite poor at the time. And, uh, and I, I really wanted to go, uh, I had this opportunity to go to, uh, to the UK, uh, uh, during summer and and look for some um, jobs in agriculture uh, but I couldn't afford uh, for the tickets so so um, yeah it was buying and selling so I found I you know uh, electronics uh, was my hobby and and I, I knew how to solder and, and I had some basic equipment so at that time you know uh, it, it was almost impossible to 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 get uh, um, good uh, personal audio equipment like a tape recorder or amplifier, and they were you know objects of desire. And uh, and I located in Warsaw uh, a shop which was selling uh, <clears throat> factory defected equipment. And uh, so I was like hopping on a train on Friday and going to Warsaw to that shop, buying one unit, like a tape recorder, over Saturday uh, repairing it and putting it for sale on a flea market uh, on Sunday and then repeating that on the next week and the next week and the next week. And uh, of course, over time, I accumulated uh, enough cash so that after probably two months, I could or to buy two units and, and repair them. And you know, <laughs> this is how it all uh, doubled. I love and, this but over, it, this whole operation lasted like, I think about four months, like February mm. till June. And I, uh, in the end, I, I had enough cash to, to buy this, this Warsaw to London uh, ticket. Right. And, so you, and, were, um, you were procurement, engineering and sales <laughs> and no, marketing. I, I, I think that was, Quite typical at that time. I mean, it was it was uh, the, the 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 environment was full of such opportunities. Mm. And do, 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 do you do you remember how you felt when you made your first sale on the flea market? Because you know, were you it must have been quite. You weren't rich, so you had all your capital tied up in this thing. And good, can you do you? Because quite, I just sometimes the first customer, the first moment is quite a big moment. Do you remember that, or is it just? I don't like, think I remember exactly the first one, but but I was really surprised. Uh, uh, yeah, how how really easy this whole operation was for me because you know investing three days and of course uh, some previous learnings of, of, of the trade and and uh, of the art and uh, adding some luck and, and and here you go right mm. so I, I was making like I don't know 20 percent uh, on, on, on ROI <laughs> in three days it's not bad <laughs> if you could do that you could <laughs> do that at scale Shimon and you chose the wrong profession um okay so so thank you for sharing that and 
then was it always obvious to you that you were going to start your own company after university no. or that no, can you because you set up this company cdm which you can tell us about in a moment but how what was your decision process like uh it was all uh based on luck and and it was all accidental i would say so <clears throat> i think uh so th there were several important steps uh, on my way and uh, and, and you know, I cannot describe them any different than just a, a chain of accidental events and, and you know, sprayed with some, some luck on top. <laughs> so uh, after this first trip to, to the UK, I made my first, I, I think, 150 pounds uh, to uh, three weeks and then uh, that 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 was my savings. So uh, I, I remember I bought a first uh, uh, printer because so I had, yeah, I, I had a far family in Germany, and they and they bought me. Uh, it was a great uh, present. They bought me a Sinclair uh, Spectrum uh, microcomputer, and and I really wanted a printer with that. So, so I spent that money on a printer, uh, but. <clears throat> That was not that important. The important stuff was that at that time I already knew what it means to go to another country and and how to you know um, uh, what is it like there, like what you need and what you need to um, pay attention to and 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 what to watch for and and you know it's it's all you know going up. So so learning and learning and learning. So the, the next year I went to Scotland, stayed there for two months, uh, of course, saved much more on, on the, uh, my, my third uh, uh, vacations abroad was uh, Norway. We, we, I went there with, with a friend of mine completely, uh, um, you know, it was a blind shot. Somebody told us Norway could be nice. <laughs> I remember Norwegian embassy was granting visa based on your um, bank statement. So uh, the two of us, we pulled together our uh, our money, put them on one bank account, um, took the statement, went to Norwegian embassy, got one visa, then transferred the money to another account. We <laughs> did the process and we got like visas for, I think, three weeks. So we went to Norway uh, hitchhiking. It was quite uh, more uh, affordable than the UK. Uh, and then <clears throat> I remember it was like pure luck. The first night we arrived uh, in the Oslo area and it, it was hitchhiking on the, the whole day and it was getting dark and and we were preparing to cook some uh, food for uh, for supper and then set up a tent and the car stopped by uh, and it, it pulled down uh, the, the screen and 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 the gentleman asked uh, if we were strawberry pickers and of course we admitted we were and and, and he offered <laughs> us uh, um, a living place and a job for for three weeks and and that was extremely well paid job so extreme luck right and then we Shimon, learned Shimon sorry I have to interrupt the, 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 I can't agree with you that you did the, 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 you're, you're calling it luck every time but you transferred the money to one account you transferred the money to the other account you immediately said you had experience that you didn't have 
these are, you're just seizing the moment and taking opportunities. I mean, I understand that you feel oh, yeah. like. <laughs> I, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to say, that, that on one hand you can say it's luck, but you, you know, with luck, you, you, you just need to uh, let it happen, right? So, so this is basically like taking risks all the time. I remember, so to make this long story short, on year five, I think, uh, me and another friend of mine, we went for one year to Australia. So for all the money earned in, in Norway, we invested into uh, flight tickets to Australia and we decided to go there for, for the whole year. And of course, we didn't have anyone there. I mean, no address, no nothing. And, and of course, that was pre-internet. So the only thing I knew about Australia was reading a Lonely Planet book I, we, we, we bought in Norway, and, and, and that was it. I mean, we met people because the, the flight was uh, via Berlin, and in, in Berlin we met peop other people um, uh, going from Poland to Australia, but all of them had families waiting for them at the airport, and they just couldn't imagine, how can you go there so, so, so <laughs> such a long trip, and, and even not knowing any address and anyone, they, they just couldn't believe it. And well, for us, it was just fun, but, but, but of course, we kind of compressed this, 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 this risk, right? It was somehow, you know, non-existent for us, because like I was explaining to my aunt, who was very worried about how much food I need to take for one year to Because <laughs> <laughs> at that time, you know, uh, of course, food in Poland was much cheaper than food elsewhere, especially in Western countries. And uh, it was very common to take food with you, so you couldn't spend. And so she, she was worrying about how much food I need for one year. And, and How I can was, you transport I, it? <laughs> I was explaining to her that people live there and, and, and they have shops and, and you can buy. But of, of course, you know, there, there was this tension of, of this is expensive. You should be doing that. But in the end, you know, this whole project ended very well. And I ended uh, um, working in Melbourne for five years as a wow. software developer. So, so that was my kind of... Uh, uh, dream job because like all, all before that was agriculture uh, you know picking oranges and things and at some point you know you end up a white collar uh, job in your profession in the industry and 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 well paid and you know that that was you know yet another step achieved and and this is where I learned the technology that when I got back to Poland in in 1990 and the environment changed during the time with the <clears throat> all the economic and political changes and and with that knowledge and that uh, experience i i, I uh, you know acquired in australia i was ready to set up a software business in poland which then ended up as cdn shimon shimon were you um was that a conscious decision to leave Australia? You saw, okay, Poland's opening up. There's an opportunity here. Or was that also just a timing? Was it just a luck in terms of there was like a timing? You just happened to be in there. Or you say, oh my God, there's going to be an opportunity now. I want to get there and do something. No, I, you know, I, I took one year sabbatical from, uh, from the university. That, that was the decision. So I had this, this strict one year uh, time frame, and I wanted to continue my studies in Poland. Okay. So this this was what was really uh, pulling me back, and at the same time, so yeah, this was uh, 
uh, third year of my um, university, and this is when I started this, this uh, software company. And, and just to clarify, you said five years. Maybe you meant five months. Did you really work for five years in Australia or five, five months? months? Five, five months. months. Okay, you know, that, that, that slightly different. And But then... You know, I remember because this was around 1990 that the business environment in Poland then was quite, cha I mean, there were lots of opportunities and it was very challenging, right? Because, you know, customers, uh, what did you have an insight as to, and, you know, software rates in Poland were quite low. I mean, the, the all Polish companies, you want to have foreign clients were the, was the great goal for many software companies, or at least it seemed like that because the foreign rates were so much higher than the, Polish rate. So, did you when you said you wanted to start a software company? Did you have a particular thing in mind to build a product or provide services? What was your What was your idea when you kicked up, kicked off with? Uh, with the... For CDN, it was not my idea. It was just a friend of mine. Uh, he approached me uh, with uh, his observations about the, the 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 legal changes coming up in Poland, and he said, "Yeah, you know, you can now do bookkeeping." On a computer, we need software for that. And 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 he said, I think there would be a market for that. And I said, Well, I I, I know how to write the bookkeeping applications. This is how it started. And did you, like did, you, did you or did you? <laughs> it's the picking strawberries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote, so the, the first prototype I had in two or three weeks, it was, it was really rough, but, but, but um, you know, kind of promising, sufficiently promising such, such that we decided to, to uh, set up a company together and uh, with a third colleague of ours. And, and so there were three founders. One was really responsible for corporate structure and finances. The other was market development and I was the whole technology division. So. You, uh, you, I mean, like Richard and I both, as we said, we've been running businesses here since the early 90s. So we both definitely, use, I mean, I, I, I used your software. Um, and, uh, but, you know, and so I, I expect it became quite a big business. So what's this, can you just give us the microcosm of that story i mean because you took it from the three guys and how big did you get it and how did you and how did you do that basically so my journey with cdn this is the name of the company it lasted for 13 years i think 1991 until 2004 uh in 2004 uh we exited that uh, it was acquired by comarch and uh what is really, uh, I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, up until today, this is number one software in, in the region. And, and still the application that I wrote with, with my hands is still running on many machines. And, and uh, not long ago, I, I took my son and we went to a, to, to, to a um, car parts shop to buy a new battery for my mom's car. And the, the invoice was printed with the application I wrote. This is my code, you know. So this is actually, a, a, I would say, a, a Guinness Book of Records candidate because it's been 1992 until 2021. So this is about 30 years in service. Nice. Same code base. 
right? Not, not, not bad. And you, you obviously were lying when you said you haven't been at pre-conversation. You said you haven't been out of your house, but you did go to the car workshop to buy a battery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> during, we're, by the way, for those listening, we're in the March 2021 towards what we hope is the end of an extraordinary year of kind of lockdown when people have had to stay home. If you look up coronavirus on Wikipedia, you'll discover why we're doing that. Um, so, but what, as your the CDN journey evolved, was it like, how did you feel about being a moving from just being a, a CTO, the coder, to actually being responsible for a team and like recruiting people and managing people? Was that something that came to you naturally, or did you find that it was easier to be a technical guy rather than having to machines rather than people or people rather than machines? Yeah, I think the the uh, so-called human resource management, it's not something I'm really good at, and I'd rather have somebody else doing that for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, if it grows, if the business grows like the there are different challenges they just morph initially your challenges are much different than 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 later on and i think my biggest biggest challenge was um scaling you know i was this one-man army uh, for technology for many years in that company and then i had to scale that offload that to a group of people and then i found you know how how inefficient a team can be. I mean, uh, if you're designer, developer, decision maker, marketer, all, all in one, I mean, it's all interconnected in your brain and, and you don't need meetings, you don't need, uh, you know, persuade people because you're all in agreement and meetings last <laughs> seconds and then you have decisions and then you go on. But, but of course, that has limits of, of scalability. So scaling out, I would say that's a challenge. And I want to ask about your relationship with money because I, I, you have a fascinating blog. I'll post a link to it. You write a lot of articles about many interesting technical topics. And recently you wrote that entrepreneurs are driven by greed and fame uh, and uh, or both. And I wondered whether that was autobiographical, that if you look back at yourself, were you driven? Because you're, you're obviously very proud of your code. So in a way, just from the way you talked about it, you're proud of what you did technically. And yet, in your and you were an entrepreneur. And what, did did you get to a stage where you had made enough money? Because the company was doing very well; it became quite big. Um, did you get to a stage where you thought, oh, "I've got enough now. I don't"? Or were you like driven to get bigger and bigger and bigger? Or was it like a, a sudden change in your perspective? I don't think it was sudden, and uh, I I fully can admit that in the early years it was like very exciting to me that the. the business side or, or being very open, the money side of things was doing very well and growing. And I was quite proud, proud of that. So was my family. And, but, but then like over the years, I started realizing, you know, it's like, you know, how much, how much you can consume of that. I mean, it's like, you know, going to a party and there's this, 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 this huge smorgasbord table with with everything and how much can you eat i mean uh, maybe for one night but then every day it's just not possible and at some point you you feel like okay that's that that's not really what you're after because 
And yeah, I admit I had I, I I don't remember exactly when, but but I had this concept. It must have been early 2000s, like just probably before the the exit from that company. That yeah, I have enough time until until uh, for the rest of my life. So so I finally I'm successful because I don't need to work anymore, and then I could like be like that for a few months at most, and then I. It, it started itching and, and <laughs> I had to start doing something else because really um, I think uh, you need a purpose in your life. And, and Basically I, you built it up to a point where, as you said, you, you were set for the rest of your life. You sold, you sold it. And then you thought to yourself, wow, I need to do, <laughs> I need to do the next thing basically. Yeah, because I, I realized, first of all, it's not about that milestone. It's about the journey. And, and to me, since then, definitely, it, it, it's all about the journey. So, so speaking of, 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 of success or, or, or measures like that, I, I can say I'm really successful every day because, because I, you know, the, the first day, you, you know what I do in the morning when I wake up? I try this. What's that? If, you, if you can if you can do this in the morning lying in the bed means you're not in a coffin happy to be alive you have, you have yet another day of, of opportunities and enjoyment and, and yeah, just, Shimon, I'll explain for our podcast listeners. Shimon was doing an exercise which would be impossible to do in a coffin. The, the majority of our <laughs> listeners are, uh, uh, are listeners, not viewers, and <laughs> that would be a bit <laughs> odd. So it's nice to know that you start the day by reminding yourself you're not in a coffin. <laughs> and uh, and can you give? Can, can you just... It's a very positive surprise that many people simply do not appreciate. Absolutely, absolutely. We're all caught up in the. We're all caught up in the. We're all caught, I mean, I can see this conversation can go very philosophical, to be honest with you, but we're all caught up in the rat race. And but I, I'll give you an argument on the other side. We're also very fortunate because it is to remove that. I don't have to worry that much about the financial aspects of life is a massive thing for most people. I mean, and that and so that's right. where that's 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 the thing that because I agree with you completely that. Um, you know, you start to understand and start to like, I, I was having a conversation with my mom the other day about like billionaires, like why, like how much money do you need? Like exactly, like why can't you tax like everything above half a billion dollars? I mean, half a billion dollars is plenty of, like, it's, like you can even lower the number, but like, it's it's crazy. I mean, like why so, this accumulation? Cause I saw, I also read your blog post. I thought it was fascinating. I, I, I thought it was fascinating actually. And I think that that's, you know that's the big question. Why do people? What drives those people? No, <laughs> no, especially to me, this this year of pandemic lockdown uh, has been really uh, unfeeling. I mean, it, it's been a great discovery. I mean, how how little you need to be to be happy. I mean, it's it's definitely. Of course, you need to have something to eat and and a shelter and 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 but that's not really the essence anything above that i mean this whole consumerism i mean it's 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 really frustrates me i mean it's been to me especially recently it's been this discovery or amplification of 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 quality versus quantity i mean this is a huge thing and and we are creating so much 
glut and noise and and <laughs> drowning in it you know uh, i mean the internet i mean it's 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 a great invention and but but on the other hand it's it's terrible i mean <laughs> if you know how to navigate that that's good but but otherwise like you know everything is about click through right it's it's that's that's the the kpi that matters for yeah that's the manipulation i mean i'm not sure if you saw that uh documentary the social dilemma on netflix but they just talk all exactly about how the social media networks got basically focused on on that basically in 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 that um, i, I want to talk just for a second you uh, actually one since we're on this side note i can ask it bitcoin versus tesla it, 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 I, I thought it was really really just an interesting take on it. Maybe you can just talk. I think a lot of people probably who listen won't even understand that there's a carbon footprint related to Bitcoin. And you mentioned, I think uh, it was like the size of Argentina or something like Anyway, but maybe I'll let you just briefly say a couple of words about that because I do think it's actually fascinating. Yeah, and the- so, you know, uh, starting with Tesla. So this company is, or Elon Musk, of course, he's extremely successful with his social relationships about his his businesses or his and his his projects i would say right and and the the position of tesla uh, i mean it's been falling recently but but it went up to something like thousands times earnings the share price some something completely uh, unbelievable another galaxy um and uh I believe this is be- this, 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 this was because people were trusting him and, and identifying themselves with his vision of making things better. I mean, electric cars definitely they carry this 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 flag of of, of, of green climate. Uh, you know, everything is good about electric cars, and then suddenly. Out of nowhere, this guy jumps in and invests in Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is, um, you know, I for many years I've been I, I couldn't formulate my opinion about is good, is bad. Uh, some of my uh, uh, some of my uh, some some of people I I, I really. Uh, value like George Gilder and, and, and many others. So they were, uh, you know, appreciating the, 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 the distributed fashion of that and that it cannot be controlled by any bank or any government. So this is kind of a freedom, free thing and enabling freedom and, and enhancing freedom of people. But on the other hand, when you look at it, it's mostly used for illicit transactions. I mean, normal people don't use it. Criminals do. So it mostly serves the bad guys. And also, the way it is engineered, it requires incredible amounts of, of power, of raw energy to keep going. And it has today a footprint, carbon footprint of Argentina. And uh, it basically it the, it pollutes the atmosphere at the equivalent of eight million cars. That's interesting. It's, I that I was not I I I knew that it was energy intensive. I did not understand the carbon footprint uh, side intensive. of it. 
And, and you know, if, if you think it doesn't help most of societies at all, it helps the bad guys and it pollutes and it's, it's all mostly speculation. So now when I see Tesla investing in Bitcoin, this is, you know, this doesn't fit. I mean, you need to be consistent about what you're talking about and what you're doing. And, you know, to me, it's, you know, I, I went short Tesla when they did it. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to jump back a bit. I mean, it's a fascinating topic, but not really the main focus of our, of our podcast that if you, your personality or your values or your attitude to like life clearly evolved. And if you were giving advice to or people were trying to draw lessons from from your career, let's say up to the exit. And can you put a number on approximately the amount, the amount that CDN was sold for just so people, people get a scale of how big your finance, if you don't want to share it, fair enough. But if you can give an order of magnitude, how big your financial exit or the sale of the company of the whole was, what what advice would you give to someone to, to say what they could learn from your story? Let's say up to the CDM moment, because let's say after that you had like options. You didn't have to start another company, but you chose to, and then you chose to start another one. But for your first big entrepreneurial success, what would you say the main lessons that someone else could draw from it would be? All right. So on the financial side, not speaking about uh, the accurate numbers, but exactly at, at the time of exit, I was 35, right? And uh, and uh, I had enough money to, to get me going, you know, until the end. So, and you're a Tesla driving billionaire with a yacht and a private jet. Well, and... you know, uh, of course you can escalate, but but I'm I'm talking about um, rational spending, right? You you could you could you could continue a good life, and of course, I mean, reinvesting probably part of that uh, amount uh, in in safe instruments. Yes like government bonds or, or something like that but but yeah and your question is about advice to people about well the less the lessons that you've learned during that 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 sort of whatever it was 14 year 12 year journey that you could share with a younger person who hasn't yet had their business success a young man or woman or old man or woman for that matter <laughs> considering going into business like what could they learn from you from that from that that chunk of your life well, always, I think, and it was especially important during my time uh, at, at CDN, I was only focused on that thing. I'm very bad at multitasking. And, and I think, in general, multitasking is not good for, if, if you want to be successful with your business, you know, you need to put enough attention into it. And, and, and you know, trying to... Well, maybe some people can do it. This is just my personal attitude to this thing. So, so really focus on this very one thing, and 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 and, and keep pushing, right? I mean, that there's, you know, it was it was uh, thirteen years of of I would say very hard work. It was not just like you know being an owner of a company. It was I was really you know wanting to make it happen. I mean, the success to me was not that much financial as it was I want 
this code I wrote to be abundant, popular everywhere, you know, walk into any shop and, and see my application being displayed on those uh, terminals. That, that was really um, rewarding. Yes. And, and for those, just to give a context that, you know, people often think, well, the software companies are selling to big business, but this was software that was used in cash registers, in accounting departments, in small, medium-sized. It was what, you know, Poland was full of small, medium entrepreneurs who were building building the new economy after the end of communism. And people cared about value for money, efficiency. They were a tough market, but if you gave them what they wanted, then they were very loyal, I guess. Would that be fair to describe? Yeah, I think we were delivering through that software really uh, a very good level of productivity of, of, you know, helping people focus on their real business and taking away the burden of, of running books and uh, inventory tracking and and invoices and, and all, all, all stuff like that. Shimon, I'd like to take a step back um, and just first of all understand that you, uh, you, you said that you came back to Poland in 1990 to do your third year of college, mm-hmm. but then you set up the company. Did you ever finish university? I did, yes. You did. So yeah. you were in the first two years, you were doing university and uh, CDN. Yes. Okay. And um, this is a conversation that Richard and I often have on this uh, on the podcast, actually, because Richard comes from a prestigious university and uh, he, has, he, he, he graduated from Cambridge. Uh, I, I went to a regular good university in the U.S., but... Um, I think we have different opinions about the value of education for when it comes to entrepreneurship and, and, you know, what, how, and I think in your case, you're probably going to say it taught me my technical skills I needed to be able to, to do my business. But, but like just generally, would you say how, how important is education for an entrepreneur? It's a tough question. I mean, again, from my perspective, uh, what I learned, to conduct my my businesses, I learned on on my own. Very little took from the university. But the university, I think, what it gives it gives you this opportunity to focus on on your self improvement. I would say it it teaches you to to start to be uh, start caring about yourself by your own and and. Uh, Independence or self-sufficiency is it? Yeah, independence. I think that's that's the key yeah. word. You're right. Yeah, it, uh, it 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 offers you some room, right? And it's up to you what you do in that room. But but you have that room. You're not squeezed into you know some procedures or that there is a lot of freedom during the university time. I think. Okay. You want to continue on? So what, what happened next? So, so CDN was your first big exit. And then I guess you had, well, now you had some finances. We all know it's a little bit easier. And then you, you but you had the entrepreneurial drive and you, you wanted to do yeah. other things. So maybe so you can keep. I, I had a three, four year period with a company that uh, I did not found, but uh, I was really hired. To, to, to fix that company. Uh, it was quite a promising startup, uh, venture-backed, and uh, I led quite a revolution there. So the company uh, at that time, it was called Wind Mobile, and they were making 
value-added software services for mobile operators. And now they are uh, part of Aileron, which is uh, trading on Warsaw Stock Exchange. And uh, I would say it's quite, from a pure business perspective, it's quite successful company. And uh, the, the, the software story there was also very exciting. However, from the product perspective, I'm not very proud of that. I mean, <laughs> it is it is building many of these services that that today as a as a consumer i really don't like so th these are the the extra services that are added to your bill to your uh cell phone bill monthly and you really don't know how to unsubscribe from them <laughs> because you were automatically subscribed when signing a new contract and then you're you know, it's these are all those business practices that, that today I'm, I'm I really hate to be honest. Mm. Uh, I, I just want to go focus on why on the why there uh, because you know because you said you didn't have um, you know you had some time off and then you 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 said you had the itch and then but what was it about that opportunity? I'm not so like whatever happened to the company happened, but what yeah. was it like about that? It was it to transform something you were going to turn it around. It was the what was the attractive? I couldn't sit still and and it just came by like the <laughs> driver in in Norway who offered me strawberry picking job. Here's the opportunity. It, it sounded uh, attractive from the challenge perspective and and i accepted the challenge and, and was that rafael stitchin because he was comarch who acquired cdn and he, i know he's the ceo of this Aeron, yes. I, Aeron, so and he was involved in wind mobile too i guess yes, yes, yes. that's right so it was a personal connection as well that he just he knew you i guess because he had bought your company to some extent to some extent yes but, but the real story uh, started after that. So I exited uh, Wind in late 2008 and then had about a year of, say, sabbatical, but it was a year full of, full of experimentation and, and, and other, uh, my personal activity. I wasn't preparing for something specific. It was just, you know, finally I had enough time to, to you know, dive deeper into my hobby, which which has always been wireless communications and especially low power wireless, and uh, around that time, I realized you know that a pair a pair of digital radios can communicate with each other. At that time, and it was 2009-10, costed less than one meter of copper cable, mm, and I said, "Wow, this is." This is something because, you know, these radios, they are made of sand. This is silicon and software. I mean, so silicon and software capable of doing much more than a piece of copper cable. I mean, that, that was to me something like I, I didn't have anything specific in mind. I just like start pursuing this technology path because, you know, to me, it was it was revolutionary enough that 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 that, you know, something something business-wise should should evolve out of that once we master this technology at some point. And this is how Silver originated. I mean, at that point, uh, we didn't have anything 
what we do today in mind, it was more uh, smart home related or, you know, let's build some fun stuff. I remember we went through different iterations of, of <clears throat> coffee machines you could control with your phone and, and gadgets like that. Of course, later we realized that the value coming from that is, is, is really not that big. So, um, but uh, we never at that time, at least, to, you know, um, radio communications, we thought, of course, there probably are were technologies and there probably were standards already established for that. And we were wrong. I mean, we, 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 we scanned the whole, this whole technology uh, area and, and we couldn't find anything established. I mean, technologies that were uh, <clears throat> pitched at that time, like uh, Z-Wave or, or Zigbee or a couple of other, uh, not many people remember, they simply couldn't deliver. I mean, we were shocked that our homebrew communication system was much more capable than those potentially established uh, brands and, and, and standards. And, but so Shimon, did you have a group of people like what happened? So basically you had this, you got fascinated with, with Bluetooth um, and you, you started learning about it. And then did you find some other collaborators, some other founder, you found some other people that you wanted to work oh, yeah. with and said, I, let's uh, work together and figure this out or uh, Again, this was a constellation of three. <laughs> so the corporate and, and financial guy and the sales marketing guy and, and the technology guy myself. So uh, this is how we are today. And uh, again, I mean, it, it was like with this trip to Australia or, or almost everything I've done through all my life is that I was allowing myself closer to those opportunities and, and, and following them without even considering any risks or, or, or hesitations. So I never, you know, 2012 and... Uh, Bluetooth to me was like a big star somewhere and, and we could only be, you know, casting shadows in the light that, that it was emitting. And, and we met some guys from Bluetooth SIG and uh, explained them what we were doing. It was, I think, 2012 or 2013. And they said, why, why don't you why don't you uh, set up a working group in Bluetooth SIG to continue that effort, but to bring it to the standards level? And that was, I was shocked. I mean, how can, how can a small startup from Krakow, how can they be elevated to, to, to become one of the cornerstones of Bluetooth SIG and as, as, as the, the, the company leading the effort for the new frontier for, for Bluetooth. You know, at that time, Bluetooth was only point-to-point -point link, like phone to a headset or, or computer to a mouse. And we wanted to build networks based on Bluetooth. And, and Bluetooth couldn't do that at that time. But we, 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 we had enough evidence showing us that the foundational technology that Bluetooth had and still has, I mean, it's, it's the best. I mean, it's like 
selecting the best material to build your starship. I mean, it starts with, with the good foundational decisions, right? You cannot build, it's always uh, this paradigm I'm, I'm uh, offering to people that, you know, until railroads and, and uh, automotive industry, everybody has been using steel as the primary material. But you have to forget steel when you think about aircraft. I mean, you can build, I mean, you can build a very shiny aircraft of steel. It, it would be beautiful, but it would fly, it would be too heavy. So, right. so that's that's very similar thing with wireless communication, that, that you cannot apply the wired paradigms and expect them to, to perform well in the wireless world. You, you need to start with different ingredients at the very beginning. And, and this is why we thought, yeah, Bluetooth has this, what we need to build really big networks. And just this month, we, we announced, uh, it's been an amazing story, but, but one of the milestones we reached recently, or one of our partners, they commissioned a 20-story building with 4,000 lights in it, all in one network based on our technology on Bluetooth Mesh. I mean, up until that moment, there, there were always people who were questioning the scalability of, of Bluetooth because Bluetooth came from personal technology. So it was never associated with this, you know, you can build big stuff with that. And suddenly that's possible. And I mean, it is very uh, consistent with, with my attitude to environment and, and uh, lifestyle and, and everything that it really in the end helps saving lots of energy. I mean, the, this product in the end is very simple because it turns off lights and people don't need them. And, and it's, so in principle, it's, it's very easy. In practice, it's quite difficult. And the most difficult part is, is the market we are after, which is the red profit. I mean, you have so many buildings, millions of square meters, which do not have any intelligence with, with their lights, with their sensors, and you know, to refurbish them, you would need to pull apart the walls and ceilings. And these are projects that nobody wants to do because they are too disruptive, too, too cost ineffective. Basically smart, I, and I've been trying, I was about to ask you this, but I think I got it. Is it smart lighting for industrial, for big, large, spaces so and, and and you don't have to do all the renovations and changing of the thing you could just put it on the outside yes. and is that we discovered that first of all with bluetooth we can scale to really big networks so you know doing a skyscraper is not an issue other technologies really choke at 50 nodes so if you go to companies who offer solutions based on zigbee for example uh, they say do not exceed 70 nodes on your network because then it would start saturating. With Bluetooth, we don't have this issue at all. And, and the other thing is that because Bluetooth can talk directly from that system to your phone and, and you have an app for that, the commissioning experience, the configuration is seamless. The, the app does all that. So the, the, the complexity, okay. you know, we lowered it, it, it by orders of magnitude. And this is why it's so attractive because we are after this big market of, of retrofit. And, and this retrofit suddenly is extremely easy. 
you pull out the old lights, you put the new lights, you take your phone up. What's your market? I mean, where do you sell? Are you selling in Poland and Europe and the US everywhere? What's the... Everywhere. The first customer of ours uh, has been uh, Murata. This is Japanese giant. They have 60 billion, I think, US uh, revenue and they do all sorts of stuff. This is one of the biggest Japanese companies and they signed with us in 2017. So it's been already four years and we signed, you know, really big brands like Osram, for example. So Osram Osram buys the software from us to power their products. So this is, you know, the level of, 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 of gratification and satisfaction I'm getting because like creating something that is globally accepted extremely popular and and uh, and and also appreciated by the big guys i mean this is something i i of course this is not the end of the journey but 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 what we've achieved so far is is really uh, i i never that that was never on my on my roadmap i mean it, it was you know that that roadmap kept unveiling in front of us along the way I think it's a very cool, very cool, um, very cool idea. I mean, very cool business, actually. And and what's what's the um, let's say just I'm making this a little bit of an advertisement for Silver. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just interested in the payback that, you know, obviously green is green. And in principle, there's no conflict between green and good business because fewer resources means lower cost in principle. So it should be completely aligned, although often the external costs aren't taken into account. But how much money can a uh, an office building save obviously it depends how big it is but in percentage terms what what's the kind of payback in reduction of energy consumption if someone adopts your technology uh, and has a smart integrator we typically measure that in the return on investment on your retrofit project mm-hmm. and with our technology is between two and three years wow so it's you know it, it's also very interesting how how such products projects are financed because they are mostly financed by utilities or you know as a customer you don't pay anything you just commit to a longer term contract with your utility and they say okay so we will retrofit your lighting system including sensors so you get better light quality and we share the profits with you so you pay less for your energy and the first two years we take all the profits because that's the payback for the retrofit hardware and the following five years we share the, the gains that's interesting and what's the um and obviously this is one sort of big application of your technology you're also on the special interest group the sig that uh, for bluetooth and you know i wonder what the payback in terms of for business purposes of helping support a global standard. I, they, I, but I was wondering where else do you see this technology that you've developed also having a big impact over the next, say, three, five, seven, ten years? Because obviously this isn't the only application. Maybe you won't do it, but someone else will. But what else can it disrupt? Yeah, so another extremely interesting area that we have just entered and... Uh, entered in quite a big way because we announced that a couple of weeks ago, good timing for this interview, by the way, mm. is uh, we signed a deal with Fluence. 
So Fluence is a horticultural lighting company. It is, it was an independent startup in the US acquired later by, by Osram. So again, th this deal with Fluence is kind of extension to our contract with Osram, but uh, it, it underlines that really this customer is really happy with this technology, but otherwise they would be selecting something else. And so still lighting, but in this case, lighting, lighting uh, gla glass, glass houses and things like this, yeah? It's not glass houses. It's what's called vertical farms. Okay. It's, 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 you know, it's not like hydroponics. No. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it it's, is. Uh, hydroponics. It's one the lighting. Of the most promising global developments as technology is considered now, I think. I mean, it brings so much, so many benefits, so much good to people. I mean, you know, having a fresh green stuff uh, efficiently uh, grown and easy to harvest and and, and localized because you know you can have you, you can convert old warehouses into vertical farms and grow fresh vegetables there mm. locally back in uh, back in college i used to uh, I, I didn't do it but people used to grow marijuana in closets with that technology so <laughs> that was a common use and i think it's yeah, i think that's, it's that's i think that point. business i think that business actually has significantly grown in the us it's it's all going legal and i, I suspect that that's a that's a potential use. Of that. Yeah, but, but, but also, you know, in terms of <clears throat> supporting the population growth, supporting the uh, carbon dioxide reduction, I mean, everything. Yeah. We, we, had a vertical, we had a vertical farmer on the stage of uh, TEDx Kashmir in 2018. They were doing a project in uh, the University of uh, Agriculture here in Krakow as well. So yeah, but this is a, a, a big deal. But it's still in the lighting area. I was wondering, like, but networks are not only used for lighting. And I was wondering if, if you you have a sort of gut feel that, you know, could it be you know, completely away from lighting, other than not building automation? Well, yeah, yeah, of course. So <clears throat> something that uh, we have very firmly on our radar and, and one of the milestones we are getting to is uh, so-called asset tracking technology. So lighting, <clears throat> lighting is 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 one application, but also lighting is a very good network. So connected lighting can serve as a network for other services, completely not lighting related. So so asset tracking is about you know uh, keeping track of equipment. <clears throat> People, whenever uh, it needs to be done, like hospitals or, or factory floors or, or something. And uh, <clears throat> with Bluetooth, I mean, the whole concept of how it works is that you have very, very little tags that you can attach to anything, to my employee badge or, or to the fire extinguisher or to a... a projector that can roam from <clears throat> room to room or in a hospital to a piece of an equipment that, that is also on a trolley. And, uh, and very often it's, it's all about locating that equipment or, you know, reading remotely the, the data indicated by the sensors from that. So <clears throat> Bluetooth is extremely capable in this area. 
And uh, oh, by the way, I'm holding a switch in my hand. So with that switch, I can operate lights. And that switch is almost fully made of plastic and it lives forever, no batteries. It is powered by the presses. Mm-hmm. It generates with, with a single press, it generates enough energy so that the Bluetooth microprocessor can be powered up for a brief moment, send some <clears throat> radio data and then go to sleep. Wow, that is very, very cool. And yeah. just again for our audio listeners, Shimon plunged himself into darkness <laughs> and then lit himself up again. That, that that's not a, an experience that you can hear, but it, the reason we're no, impressed. But, but as reason. it is for the audio listeners, it was just a very square, small piece of plastic that he just presses with his thumb, and that press generates enough energy to uh, to make to to send a, uh, I guess a Bluetooth impulse to, to mm. make the device work, which yeah. is absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm con- con- conscious it's Friday Friday evening here uh, we're recording this or late afternoon and I'm conscious of your time there are a few uh, questions which we always ask about uh, the role of how competitive you are and I don't know whether you had siblings when you're growing up do you like winning you know just being somehow if, if you do you see yourself as someone who needs to feel that they're doing hmm. a bit better than other people did you play any sports well so competition aspect of, of entrepreneurship. I, I think it's it's very related. I mean, business is a competition and, and you know, especially we are now, you know, uh, going into this discussion about fundamentally uh, biology or, or, or <clears throat> sexuality, I would even say, because this is, you know, especially males, you probably need to talk to female uh, entrepreneurs because maybe they have different drive. But but for males, competing has always been how their brains are wired. So I think males select competitions at which they are good, and that's that's kind of natural. And this is probably subconscious. And I, I don't think this is something you consciously control. It's something you want to get involved and if you're successful then you continue right so so the uh, uh, same stuff with the um, you know um, risk acceptance i would say I, I definitely entrepreneurship requires you know accepting risks these risks of course to some people may look significant to others they are just not risks they are just part of the game and 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 definitely, this is a competition and being successful, you know, it's, it's it, you can simplify that it, it, it may be just sex and drugs. I mean, the, the, the amount of, of uh, uh, dopamine that, that is generated uh, in your body after, you know, the successful experience with what you're doing, I mean, this is extremely rewarding. I mean, this, are, this is the chemistry of your body. But but this is how we work, how we function, and and definitely yeah. To me, the purpose of what I'm doing plus the the, the satisfaction of 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 achievements, uh, big or small. And I noticed when you were describing seeing your software working in the car repair place, you somehow you. It's not a normal competition. It's an entrepreneur's competition. Your your product won in the in the game of. Yeah. whose software were they going to use, right? So that's a kind of competitiveness. Is that what you're saying? Yes. 
Yeah. It's the same, yeah, by I, the way, with, with Bluetooth Mesh. I mean, we, <clears throat> I'm very happy with that journey and how we created that standard out of almost nothing. And, and you know, uh, we are now addressing huge markets with, with that. But the real satisfaction to me is how others are appreciating that technology for their own use. I mean, that, that there's nothing more satisfying than, than seeing other people completely unrelated to you, uh, you know, praising uh, the, the, the technology, the, uh, the system that, that you helped uh, creating. So, yeah, that's... My one comment on competitiveness is I have a wife and three daughters and I, I, I can, I, I'm scared, like there, I can say for absolutely certainty that women are extraordinarily competitive as well as men. I, I, I get, I've had board game nights and fights and stuff like that. So, um, but moving beyond that, I have two like questions. Like I want to, it's sort of funny. You're like a Bluetooth expert and I'm wearing, uh, uh, uh AirPods. Is this going to hurt my brain? Oh, not at all. So, so of course, like, you know, <clears throat> Electromagnetism, which is the foundation for radio transmission, is considered uh, a, a radiation, uh, and radiation is somehow connected with nuclear radiation. But these are completely different types of radiation, and one is ionizing, which is dangerous. The other is not ionizing, which is safe at some power levels. And as I demonstrated with this self-powered switch, I mean, Bluetooth operates at extremely, extremely low power levels. So your exposure to that electromagnetic uh, radiation with Bluetooth is orders and orders and orders of magnitude lower than your one minute of cell phone use. Huh? Your cell phone is one watt. Uh, Bluetooth switch is one milliwatt. And okay. your cell phone continuously transmits this one watt signal. Bluetooth transmits a signal that lasts for 300 microseconds. That's 300 of millionth of a second. It's extremely tiny message, yes. extremely low level. So, so you know, the, the energy contained in that, in that transmission is, is uh, six orders of magnitude lower. So you've mm. made me feel much better about my Bluetooth, mm. uh, my Bluetooth headset. Yeah. Can I, let me ask the one last question. I'm, I'm, for me, at least the last question, Richard, you can maybe ask one more after that. So mm -hmm. I've been, uh, you've been mentioning luck a lot in your uh, conversation. And this is like something I like to ask everybody, but I really just want to ask it very directly now at the very end. So when you've, you've, you've had your journey, your entire journey, um, yeah, how much of it, because I'm, you're a very successful person you've, you've in, 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 you can, and you've been multiple times successful. So how much of that do you attribute to, you know, your hard work and your determination and, and your education and, you know, all the other factors um, that come from you? And how much of that do you attribute truly to luck? It's hard to come with, with you know, like percentage-wise, what, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Difficult to measure, but uh, uh, definitely what I'm probably not mentioning and, and it should be mentioned that that uh, throughout my projects, I've been extremely perseverant in pushing them, and and everything I do, I consider it for a long run. So, what what I see, you know, especially today, I'm after things that really 
change people's lives for better, not for more, for better, right? Quality versus quantity, uh, contribution to green planet and, and so on. Really <coughs> worth changing uh, projects are decade or more. I mean, it's you, you cannot do anything significant in, in two or three years. And, and this is something that uh, I also have been blogging about uh, on my website is that investors, typical investors have this very short horizon of just a few years. And, and uh, as a society, we should be doing better. I mean, definitely we need to do more hard, longer projects, more ambitious, something that really helps uh, the civilization, not just makes few people successful, say rich or and uh, yeah, I, I think this work and perseverance and, and focus is very important. Of course, I think there is equal distribution of luck. You just need to have enough of this exposure. That's that's the point, right? Because if if your exposure to potential luck is is, is fairly narrow, then the, the, the amount of luck you're getting is <laughs> you you need to expose yourself. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And I and I I'll post a, in the show notes. So there's a fund set up by a Krakow alumni, Elamade, who's now in Silicon Valley, called Fifty Years. And I think their premise is they need fifty year, fifteen year cycle for their long term investments. And I think, in fact, they've made some short term investments as well, which have been very successful. But patience and persistence and thinking long term. I don't think you can say you're the only entrepreneur in the world who thinks like this, but it's very good to it's very good to have that so articulately put out there for our audience because you know there's diversity. And I, I had a a couple more questions, um two separate questions. It may take you more than a minute or two to answer. One is where your future lies, the what will you be doing in five or ten years time. But the second is coming back to people that you said you prefer that it was you learned how hard it was to manage a team. At the same time, you know, you're ambitious, you've got big goals. So you must have confronted the challenges of being a leader and manager because it would be crazy to try and do this all by yourself. And again for the benefit of listeners, if you could share any tips or tricks or fundamental truths you've picked up about how to lead other people or manage other people so that they're productive and happy? They're separate questions, but I'm interested in the answers to both of them. Yeah, so maybe starting with people, uh, I think in the end, you need to select the right people who would be willing to go with you on that journey. And that's, that's fundamental because otherwise, if you have big goals and somebody wants a quick return on whatever they are doing, uh, this will not be aligned. So, so really selling your vision and so, you know, being a leader, right? I'm kind of segueing into the first question, but, uh, but um, being a leader to me is, is mostly about sharing the vision and then sharing the passion and because all I do, and that's also very important in everything I've been doing, is that I do it out of passion. It's it's not a work for me per se, right? It's it's my it's my life. I mean, <laughs> every day, and 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 uh, 
you know, if you share that that attitude, that passion, and you find that the other party is receptive to it, then then you're in a good company and, and keep doing that. And and this <clears throat> this uh, initial selection of the team, I think, is very important because many people simply don't fit into that model. And then, of course, they should be doing other things. And, and that no, nobody is forcing anyone here to do anything. I mean, you, you should you should have a good a good team who come here because they believe in what you are doing or what we are doing together, right? That's, that's I would say, my, my very fundamental approach you know, to that. And then on leadership, uh, <clears throat> it's again, I think, about having that, that vision, but also being receptive to the feedback and the ideas that people are <clears throat> are offering you that's that's very important because in our organization today i have many people who are much smarter than i am and I, i'm really benefiting from what they bring to the company and that's very important so you need to let people do what they are best at and then <clears throat> you know uh, somehow only Make sure that they are all kind of rowing in the same direction. Right? That's that's very important. And and then then you know it keeps going. <clears throat> okay. Well, Richard, do you have any other questions? No, I think I think I'm good. I think I'm good. All right. So time for thank yous. So uh, Shimon, thanks so much for taking the time. You've been super, I mean, I've, I'm like super impressed. What a great story. I love the fact, I think both Richard and I, um, be, being users <laughs> of the original software, because we're entrepreneurs from the early 90s. So we actually very well know your original product. Um, I think it's really cool that, you, you, that you, 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 you joined and then like where you've gone after that. I mean, the whole Bluetooth mesh and where you're going with your business now sounds like super interesting. So you're just like been a very, very interesting person to talk to. So we really appreciate you taking the time with us. Um, I'd also like to thank the people that spent an hour and hour and 15 minutes, our, our listeners and viewers really appreciate it. We know you, you have lots of things you can do in your lives. And the fact that you spent this time with us, I hope you found it valuable. Shimon and you found Shimon as interesting as, as we did. Um, also like to thank Magda Fantakidis. The name is, not a coincidence, that's my daughter. She does the graphic design, the video editing, and uh, she prepares the teaser for this. And then we have a very talented high school student called Magda Buiskosh. She runs the PR, PR and uh, promotion for us. And obviously the team at MBN does all the podcast uh, engineering for us. So, you know, if you enjoyed it, please subscribe at MBN, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really liked it, like it, comment it, and share it wherever you want. So this is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much, Shimon. Thank you. And uh, honestly, it's been a great opportunity. And, and uh, I rarely have this, this, this chance to, you know, uh, freely talk to people, uh, even over camera. But uh, I really enjoyed this uh, last hour. Thanks for that. And, uh, you know, any anyone could have any any questions or follow-up comments, then I'm very happy to, to hear them and, and, and comment and offer my, my opinion. 
Terrific. Well, thank you very much. And I, I will say, just as I say goodbye and thank you to everyone, that we will post a link to Shimon's blog. And it is a compelling and really interesting blog, which mainly is about technology, but recently has got quite philosophical and will be a, a challenge to many entrepreneurs. So thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you.